0: What do we think about when we think about Christmas? Lots of things probably come to mind. Trees, lights, ribbons, bows, gifts, Christmas parties. Uh, We probably think of the nativity scenes that we have in our homes or in the church with the sheep and the donkeys. Maybe we think of the children when they dress up uh, for their Christmas plays. Shepherds, wise men, and of course, baby Jesus. Lots of things come to mind when we think about Christmas, good things, important things, but there's one word, one concept, one idea that I really gets at the heart of Christmas but isn't the first thing we think about when we think about Christmas, when we talk about Christmas. And when I tell you what it is, I think you'll begin to get it. This one word really sums up the heart of Christmas and everything it means. If you've already figured it out, then you're, we're, on, we're together, and you're, you're there, and you understand it. If you haven't figured it out yet, you're probably hoping to hurry up and get to it. <laughs> Just say what it is. So what is that one word that captures the heart of Christmas and all of its implications? You ready? Any guesses? Mission. One word that captures Christmas, but we don't always go there first, is mission. Now, we talk a lot about the mission, and we talk a lot about Christmas. We don't always wrap them together and interweave them, though we should. I think one of the reasons we think of Christmas and mission often in isolation from each other is because we really only focus on the Christmas story in December, don't we? We've kind of taken the calendar and put it off over here, and we read Luke 2, but usually only around Christmas time. And we read Matthew 1 if we can get past the genealogy of Jesus into the actual story, but usually we read it around Christmas time, and we read other texts at other times of the year. And so we talk a lot about mission all during the year, but have we really taken time to think about how those two kind of come together? So, what I want to do this morning is take the Christmas story in Matthew, the birth of Jesus. And lay it alongside Colossians chapter 1. Kind of let those texts talk to each other. So neither of them are being read in isolation, one from the other. But let them kind of come together. And as we do, think about them alongside each other. Because they really are about the same thing, aren't they? After all, Matthew wants to tell us about how Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And Paul wants to tell us about how Jesus is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells in a body. I mean, that's a, if that's not a Christmas idea, nothing is. So they kind of have the same thing going on there together. And if we let them kind of enter into a dialogue with each other and talk to us about what God wants to do in Jesus, in the flesh of Jesus, then we will begin to discover that really the heart of Christmas is the mission of God. And if we can hold on to that, not just in this season, but all the time, it may have the power to begin reorienting the way we think about our celebrations, the way we think about our church, the way we think about our relationship with the Lord, and really everything that He has for us. Because really, we've only got one thing to do, and it's mission, and it all starts in the manger. The heart of Christmas is the mission of God. So we need to ask ourselves the question, and this is a question that's on the table for Matthew and for Paul in both these passages, who is it that shows up in Jesus? Because different people use the word God in different ways, and we can talk about how God is present with us through Jesus. Jesus is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. But we live in a world with so many different people and so many different kinds of people and so many different religions that different people think about God in different ways. And we can't just assume everybody thinks about God in exactly the same way or the same way as we do. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about the specific God that shows up in Jesus? And the way Matthew answers that question is by telling us that it's the, the God who shows up in Jesus is the God of Abraham, the God who called a people for himself, Abraham, I want you to come out of your homeland and go to a land I'm going to show you, and I know you're uh, getting on up there and don't have any children, but I'm going to give you a family and I'm going to give them a land, and I'm going to use your family to bless the nations. And you're saying, Preacher, where did you get that from? Well, chapter 1, verse 2 of Matthew, Abraham's the guy that gets named, isn't he? And then we get this long genealogy, and we usually skip that because we can't pronounce a lot of the names, we kind of trip over a few things there and there, and uh, we're not sure what the theological importance of all these names are, uh, so we skip on to the good stuff with angels and Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and Herod and those kinds of things. But if we take a minute and really kind of understand why Matthew, t- I mean, the, the first 17 verses are some of the most important space to get the point out there, aren't they? It's not wasted space. And Matthew wants us to see the connection between Abraham and his family and Jesus. Because Jesus is the yes to the promises made to Abraham. God says, Abraham, I'm going to use your family to bless the nations. And then we kind of read through the story of Israel. And they didn't do that very much, did they? They ended up spread out all over the nations, but not because they were a blessing, because their sins had piled so high that God had to do something drastic to get their attention, so he sends them out of the land into the exile, which Matthew tells us about in those opening verses. And the question is there as the Old Testament comes to a close, how is God going to keep that promise that Abraham's family would bless the nations? But Matthew starts, I'll tell you about Abraham, and I'm going to draw a line straight from Abraham to Jesus because Jesus is the answer to the promise to Abraham. Jesus is the one through whom God will bless the nations. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, the member of Abraham's family through whom God will bless the nations. And Matthew is not going to leave it to chance for us he's going to spell it out a little more clearly. And the way he spells it out more clearly is by telling us about some visitors who show up to worship Jesus. If you remember the Gospel of Matthew, and don't confuse it with Luke, who is it that shows up in Matthew's Gospel first to worship Jesus? Don't say the shepherds. That's in Luke. In Matthew, it's the Magi. Did you ever notice that uh, if you watch the kids' Christmas play, like your Christmas plays, that story isn't actually in the Bible anywhere? (laughs) You have to take a little bit from one spot, a little bit from another spot, and mix them together to get what you put in the Christmas play. Matthew has no shepherds. Uh, Luke has no Magi. Um, They're telling different parts of the story, and we've got to kind of pull it together to get the whole story, don't we? The question is, why does Matthew tell us about the Magi instead of the shepherds? Well, the first clue comes in where they're from. Anybody remember? From afar. That's what somebody said. Uh, (laughs) He says, from the east, doesn't he? The the Magi are from the east. And that, friends, is a Bible way, kind of an ancient Near Eastern way of saying they ain't from around here. (laughs) These guys are new in town. They're foreigners. And they're kind of dignitaries. And they come as representatives of foreign nations to worship a descendant of Abraham. So Matthew wants us to understand chapter 1, verse 2. I'm telling you, this is Abraham's story. God promised Abraham that his family would be a blessing to the nations. And when we go through the story, we got David. And David's a man after God's own heart. But he's also a disaster because he's immoral and he sins all over. He does horrifying things at times. And it's not just David. It's the whole nation. They all get deported. They get exiled because they're not living into God's plan for for them as a people. And so the question, you know, the promise is in question. How's God going to keep his promise to Abraham? And here's Jesus. And if you want a clue that Jesus is the one through whom the promise that the nations will be blessed, that God's going to keep it, the first people that show up at the manger are the nations. To worship the king of the Jews. And if we're sharp readers of Matthew, we'll remember that those themes show up at the end of the story too, don't they? Jesus, after he's been raised from the dead, gathers his disciples and he tells them, I've got a a mission for you. Disciple the nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded And I'll be with you. And there's those two ideas. Nations and the presence of God in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, by the end of the Gospel of Matthew, is Jesus with us. Because God is uniquely present in Jesus. And he is there and he is present to bless the nations. The heart of Christmas is the mission of God in Jesus, for the blessing of the nations, which, of course, includes us. Which, of course, includes us. Matthew wants us to understand without question that the God who shows up in the flesh of Jesus is the God who promised Abraham that he will use his family to bless the nations. And Matthew goes to great lengths to make sure we know that starts in Bethlehem. That starts in the manger. What does Paul have to say about the God who shows up in Jesus? So we've got kind of a, a very specific account of the narrative of Jesus' birth. Paul kind of zooms out and gives us the cosmic account. This is big picture. If you're watching a movie and you've ever seen the camera kind of zoom out and you Things are revealed that you didn't see when you were zoomed in. Colossians 1:15 to 20 is very much like that. Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He takes the God that no one's ever seen and makes him visible. Firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. So who is the God that shows up in Jesus, in his flesh? For Paul, he wants us to understand it's the creator. It is the God who makes all things. So before Jesus is present in the manger, he's present at creation, speaking and creating and bringing things into existence. Not just some things, all things. He's not one of the created things. He's the one who brings everything that's been made into being, whether it's people or birds or trees or planets or stars or angels or power. Everything that exists has its being in Jesus. He's the one who keeps it together, Paul said. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Him, all things in heaven and on earth, which is an ancient way of saying every last thing that there could possibly be, all things in heaven and on earth were created through Him and for Him. He's before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. And so as the world exists, as the universe spins around and does what it does and functions, it only continues to be because the Lord Jesus Christ enthroned at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, gives it coherence, holds it together, keeps it going. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist without his consistent, constant, loving desire to uphold all things. And it's a stunning reflection when you think about that manger, that, that infant in the manger has not yielded his authority, to give all things that exist their coherence. I mean, how, what a stunning claim it is to think that that baby crying on a cold night, surrounded by shepherds and eventually magi, and sought out by Herod for his destruction, that child is the one who keeps the stars burning and the planets spinning in their orbits. All things hold together in him. All things cohere and exist because he loves them and wills them into being. Paul wants us to understand that God in his massive, magnitude, spectacular magnificence, God in his creator glory has shown up in the manger to to be present with us. The nativities aren't just nifty little things that we can play. My kids love to play with the nativities. And we play with little figurines of baby Jesus and we don't need to miss the stunning mystery that somehow the one who made all things shows up in that person, in that tiny body with those little bitty fingers and little bitty toes and in the wails and cries of God, God the Creator, in His fullness is in that body and it's mysterious and it's surprising and we struggle to explain it. The church has helped us throughout the years that. In Jesus, there's one person where the divine will and human, human nature and divine nature come together in the one person, but that union is mysterious to us. Surprising, counterintuitive, and still true. Still true. The thing that Paul is driving at is that the one who made all things is also the one who is remaking all things. Because he goes on, Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together. Verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. The beginning, the firstborn from the dead, talking about Jesus' resurrection. And the purpose of that is that he might come to have first place in everything. No one is exalted above him. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I love that. All the fullness of God. God doesn't begrudgingly come to us. It's like, O'Reilly messed up again. I'm going to have to go and sort this out. I can't believe it. he did it. It's, God doesn't regard us that way. He doesn't just kind of frustrate. You know, sometimes we do that with our kids, right? We're frustrated because they messed up and we've got to go and fix the problem. God doesn't come to us like that. God comes to us because he's pleased to dwell among us in bodily form in Jesus. In Jesus, all the, everything that God is, the fullness of God, everything it means to be God dwells in bodily form, fully human, fully divine, fully God, fully man. And through him, verse 20, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. And this is the key piece, right? Because if you need to be reconciled, It presupposes brokenness, doesn't it? Like two people who are friends and at peace, who are jiving together, don't have to get reconciled, right? A marriage that's in good shape doesn't have to get reconciled. Broken ones get reconciled. Two brothers who are in a conflict don't have to, you you only have to get reconciled if you're already in a conflict, right? People who are uh, far apart from one another have to get reconciled. They need to be reconciled peace needs to be made between them. And so Paul is presupposing that there is distance between us and God, between humanity and God. And Matthew presupposes that. That's why he talks about David who killed Uriah and the exile and how the people had to go out of their land and how we need a Savior and how that Savior is Jesus. Both of them see Jesus as coming to be God with us to solve Our central problem, which is distance from God, we need to be reconciled to him. And that, friends, is where the mission begins. We talk a lot about mission, but it's our mission to the world we got to go on this trip and we've got to go do these things. We've got to serve in this way and those are very important and we do them and we will emphasize them and we will talk about them and we'll have missionaries come and visit us and we will go and visit them and we will do those things but before we ever go on mission to the world, God comes on mission to us and it starts in the manger. The heart of Christmas is the mission of God to us to take our brokenness our sin, our darkness, our rebellion, and to make us whole. Because at the end of the day, everybody starts on the naughty list. <laughs> All the way back to the garden. and Adam said to God, I'm not interested in your opinion on how the world works. I'll call the shot. I wonder how many of us have approached God that way. Thanks for your input, but I got this. You can keep your opinions to yourself. I'm in control here. And that's that brokenness, isn't it? Thanks be to God. He does not regard us according to whether or not we're worthy. Thanks be to God. He doesn't evaluate us on our quantity of works or how nice we've been all year. Thanks be to God that he loves us just because we are. And heaven is on a mission to earth to remake, to redeem, and to restore. That mission is inaugurated in the manger, And then when Jesus came out of the tomb, new creation got kicked off in this world. Paul talks about how all of us, we didn't read verse 21, but he goes on to say, Jesus is making peace between us and God through his blood on the cross, right? The God-man comes to stand in that place of distance where God and humanity are far from each other. Jesus... The human being in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily comes to stand between us to bring the two together in his body to make peace, verse 20, through his blood on the cross. Verse 21, because you were estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, so he's reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. So Jesus comes on mission to take us from death, spiritual death to spiritual life. So if the resurrection of Jesus is the first act of new creation, Jesus is the creator God. His resurrection is the first act of new creation. When we move from spiritual death to spiritual life, that is an experience of new creation. And when Jesus comes back to reign and rule, he will raise the dead and the graves will come open and the, those who belong to Jesus will rise. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 1 Corinthians 15. And that will be the climax of new creation. Paul wants us to understand that that baby in that manger is the one who made the world in the first place, the one who will remake it in the end. And he does that in each of us when he reconciles us to God. And that's not just me and my salvation. It's the mission of God to the world. And the surprising thing, the spectacular thing, is he doesn't want to just do something for me. And he doesn't just want to do something in me. He wants me to become a part of the mission. And he wants all of us to become a part of the mission. That's why Jesus, that's why Matthew starts with Jesus, nations flocking to him, and then Jesus at the end sending his people out to rescue the nation to be his people before the nations. The whole thing is about us being saved. But more than that, it's about a massive mission for God to reconcile estranged creatures to himself. And that should transform the way we think about things. God rescues us so that he can rescue others through us. Jesus calls us, go, disciple the nations, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We've got to connect the dots and pull that together with what we're doing in this season with Christmas. We talk about we give gifts because God gave Jesus as the first great gift. We receive that, but how are we extending that to others? That's the mission. What does that look like? If the heart of Christmas is the mission of God, shouldn't that transform the way we live day in and day out? Because the reality is we come to this season and it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? I mean, there's shopping to get done. And traffic is worse than usual. And it's easy to get frustrated. And there's a list of parts. There's so many parties it becomes a burden to get to all of them sometimes. And we just the kids want this and so and so wants me to be there. And the in-laws want me at this house at that time. And the other family wants me at this house at this time. And I can't get out of these people. All everything is here. And it's just it's exhausting. And by the time it's all over, we haven't had that much time to really think about Jesus, let alone what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be in his world. And so my hope is that as we move into the next couple of days of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, my hope is that we will be focused. At the heart of Christmas, the mission of God will be the thing that focuses our energy and our passion and our loves, and our energy, and our resources, because this is the one thing Jesus came to do, is to take a broken, dark world and heal it with his glorious light. St. Athanasius was a bishop 1,700 years ago, thereabouts. One of the more famous and important ones, and he wrote... In a little book, that Jesus has been manifest in a human body for this reason only out of the love and goodness of his Father for the salvation of us men. This reason only to rescue us from our darkness and our rebellion. That is the mission of God. To us. And so we need to integrate our theology of Christmas and mission. Because at the end of the day, everything is mission. And the mission starts in the manger with God coming to us. Now, most of us in the room have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Been to the church, been participating, been worshiping. The question for us then becomes what's the new thing that God wants to do? Because God never wants us to kind of coast, right? You ever met somebody who's coasting (laughs) through life and just kind of see what happens? God doesn't want us to coast. He's always wanting to do new things, He's always wanting the life of Jesus to show up in us in new, deeper and in fresh expressions. And so the question for us is, you know, Lord, and I invite you to, as we we pray in a few moments, Lord, what's the new thing you want to do in this season, in me and in the church? There are others who maybe haven't had that experience of walking with Jesus yet. What Paul describes in Colossians chapter 1, you were once estranged from God, and needing to be reconciled. I wonder if some of us are maybe in that place, and the Holy Spirit speaking and saying, hey, Jesus came to reconcile you, and this is the time, and this is the day, and I promise you if the Holy Spirit is saying that and to your heart, He doesn't want to wait around. <laughs> He's ready to go. And so let's be in prayer together. As we think about... The manger as the first feature of God's mission to us. His first step to blessing the nations of which we are a part. His self-disclosure is coming to us to do something no one expected so that we could be reconciled to him, and not only so that we can be reconciled to him, so that all things, everything in the created world can be reconciled to him, because that, after all, is what the scriptures say. He has reconciled all things. So let's be in prayer together. And ask the Lord to take that next new step in each of our lives. And open our eyes to what he wants to do for the mission of Christmas in front of us. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, so easy to be distracted in this very, very, very busy season. So our prayer today, Lord, is that you focus our attention and our energy on your mission to us and your mission to through us. Lord, there are people in the room who have been walking with you for a long time. Give us a vision for what you want to do next. It's a good time to be thinking about new things because Christmas is the ultimate new thing. The incarnation is the ultimate new thing. Father, if there are those gathered with us who need to be reconciled, Spirit, you speak to our hearts. Draw us to yourself. Do the new thing. And then focus all of our energy on the one thing that you want to do through us. And that's reconcile the nations to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen.